Welcome to the Intentional Family Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Schmitz. Here with me is my co-host, Mike Schmitz. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing great. Excellent. We are talking about fear today. To be more accurate, punching fear in the face. (laughs) (laughs) I like this quote from the book Start. Full credit to to John Acuff for this phrase. But uh, because it it is kind of comical to think about punching fear in (laughs) in the face. (laughs) But that is exactly what we want to do today. Yes. And we want to talk about why. But to set the stage, I'll just talk about fear for a little bit. And when it's used as a noun, it's simply an unpleasant, strong emotion caused by anticipation or the awareness of danger. It can be anxious concern in a more positive light, I guess you could say, unless it's overboard. It could be a reverence or like awe of God, for example, Um, but it's a reason for alarm. As a verb, it is to be afraid of that expectation, that fearing the worst, And it can just, that feeling of fear, frighten. Mm. So I just wanted to set the stage with that first and foremost as to what fear is. So do you have one of these specifically that we're going to be talking about here today, like the noun or the verb? I would say more so the noun because it's that emotion. It's that strong awareness, a strong um, expectation of danger, extreme worry or concern. Yeah. I want to make the the distinction here at the beginning that we're primarily going to be talking about fear as a thing. Yes. And that's what we are going to punch in the face. Yes. We're not, <laughs> so, not pure. Uh, yeah. We're not punching some action word in as yeah, a verb. <laughs> exactly. So you can be afraid and you're not paralyzed by fear. The, yeah. the fact that you are scared of something when you know there is something that you need to do, for example, and you aren't sure, you've never done it before, uh, you don't feel prepared for it, but you do it anyways, the feeling is still going to be there. But the the noun is not going to stop you from doing the thing. That is the the big difference and this stops fear that the noun stops a lot of people from reaching their full potential. And if you're not careful, we're going to talk about this today. You can, if that has stopped you, you can reproduce that in your children, right. which is what we don't want to do. We want our kids to go further than we've gone, to do more than, than we've done. They, we want them to get to a higher level than we've gone to ourselves. That's the natural desire for us as parents for our kids. Yeah. But if you're not careful and you have let fear of the noun stick around and keep your world small, then it will be passed down to your kids. And so step one is, even if you don't feel like it, even if you have that feeling of fear, you got to punch that thing in the face. (laughs) Right, right. Because fear, when handled right, it can actually propel you into pushing through and doing something you you wouldn't have done otherwise. So it is a thing in and of itself. It's not necessarily bad or evil, kind of like money. People mm-hmm. think money's the root of all evil. Well, actually, it's the love of money. There's an action associated with money that makes it good or bad. It's an atypical or um, it's something that's just amoral. Amoral. Thank you. That's so in and of itself, it's not necessarily evil or bad. It's just a tool. It's a tool. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting because most of the time we think of fear and we think of, oh, this is something bad. It shouldn't be in my life. 
well, you can use that as a tool. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And what one of the biggest things we I've learned in parenting and any sort of leadership is that any desire I have that I want to reproduce in those that I lead, whether it be my children or anyone else, is that desire is not reproducible. It's who I actually am that mm-hmm. will be reproduced. Yep. So the fear in us, if we let it grow and mutate, that will be reproduced in our children. Um, in opposition, faith in us will produce faith in our children. Whatever we have in us, it will be reproduced. Yeah, you are what you repeatedly do. Yes. So if you repeatedly let the feeling of fear keep you from taking action on something that in your heart you believe is the right thing to do, then that is going to be reproduced. But on the other side of that, I guess you could say faith. A lot of people would say faith is the opposite of fear. And faith is just recognizing that I have that feeling of being scared because there's something big in front of me that I'm not sure I can beat and you you confront it anyways. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you realize more often than not that you're capable of more than you thought you were. Yes. And that is the spirit we want to pass on to our yeah. kids, not cockiness mm-hmm. that, oh, well, I'm going to do this thing and it's automatically going to work, but confidence that I'm going to face this thing and yeah, I might I might suffer some setbacks in the short term, but I can figure this thing out. These are just obstacles to be overcome and they're not going to be enough to stop me from reaching my destiny. Yes. And a good test to um, determine whether you are acting out of fear and letting that fear run you or not is what is my first response to crisis yeah. or to pain or to struggle, any opposition? What is my first response? And mm-hmm. okay, you have that first response. Okay, do I quickly amend myself or does that first response so strong that I get sucked into that fear, that worry, whatever it may be? And that's a really good indicator as to how we are potentially being run by fear. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's easy to do, especially if you are living out of your emotions because of the way that your brain is, is wired. Yeah. It's, yes, it's hardwired in our brain to operate this way. And our brain anatomy and physiology, there is a fear response. And that is a built-in part of our brain to keep us safe. Yep. But I have never been chased by a lion or a bear or some of these actual real dangers that the fear is meant for, the, the fear in our brain is really meant to get us to survive these extreme circumstances. Yeah, it's the fight versus flight mm-hmm. response. But as you were alluding to, there is no longer a saber tooth lurking in the bushes. It's yeah. your boss who's asking you to do something. And so yeah. your brain goes into fight versus flight. And that's not an appropriate response yes. given the the situation. So our our circumstances have changed, but the way that our brains handle these things has not. And yeah, that is that is right. a problem. So you want me to just real quickly walk through like how this works yeah, in the that'd brain? Be great. Okay. So basically your brain interprets a signal that is coming in and part of that signal it goes through the all the different parts of the the brain and eventually it's going to end up in the uh, prefrontal cortex. 
I believe that that's the one that thinks logically and says, okay, this is really what this is and this is the appropriate response. But part of that message and more of that message, if you kind of default to this, jumps the, the, the track and it goes straight to the amygdala, which is the emotional center of the brain. That's the one that's like, danger, danger, tiger approaching, get out of here as fast as you can. That's the one that I hear sometimes uh, referenced to as the monkey brain, meaning like it's more yep. just response. Yep. Uh, that's, that's, that's one way to, to describe it. It's the automatic response. So if you don't recognize that your brain has this automatic response and you are going by the feeling and you let that feeling take control when you develop your your brain appropriately it kind of keeps your amygdala in, in check it recognizes that yeah there's going to be part of this which is telling me this is a huge deal and you need to react strongly right now but when it's functioning appropriately that's tempered mm. and so you can kind of recognize that that's happening but then think about it for a second and be like actually no it's not that big a deal uh, but you have to train your brain in order to to do that. You have to prove to your brain and <laughs> that uh, the thing that you're being asked to do out of the blue is not at the same threat level as a saber-toothed tiger that is chasing you and trying <laughs> to eat you. Yeah. And as long as you let the amygdala run wild, <laughs> then you're constantly just darting back and forth between these things. And that ultimately is is really unhealthy because along oh, with that, there's right. a whole bunch of other systems that are activated. You have some yeah. of them in the notes here. Yeah. The increased heart rate, the increased blood pressure, mm-hmm. increased muscle contractility, like all of these things are getting your body instantly ready to do whatever it can to escape the immediate danger. But sometimes we can have that physiological response and there is no immediate danger. Mm-hmm. So you keep putting your body on call like this and your brain is basically saying, like, rally all the troops. We need mm-hmm. everyone, all hands on deck right now. And you do that several times a day. That's really, really stressful and not a good use of your mental resources. Right. And actually, this makes me, it reminds me of the fact that when our body is in extreme stress like that, and if we let it run wild, like you were saying, it, it tanks our immune system. Yep. Because our body is just thrust into this fight or flight mode. A lot of health issues could very well be rectified by simply learning to control this fear, control this response, this reaction and retraining our brain. It's a constant state of of stress. Yeah. Which when you're faced with either react strongly or be eaten is is justifiable but, but when it happens over and over state? again every day at work that's not sustainable and people right. don't even realize the effect that that is having right. on them and then you couple that with the fact that nobody gets enough sleep so your body can't recover right. i mean this is a very negative downward cycle and yes. it's it's no wonder that the amygdala can just do whatever it wants yep. and ring the alarm bell whenever you know someone doesn't like our facebook post Right. And our memory, it plays a huge role in this cycle because what happens is that it gives more and more context. And so when that fear stimulus enters, it just basically solidifies those pathways in your brain to respond. Oh, this is, this is bad. This is bad. Or this, like you kept mentioning work. There are a lot of people that operate in fear and worry at work. Yep. And the more we do these things, the more we will do these things. <laughs> At work specifically, the last several months, 
uh, the last year, basically, with all the COVID stuff, there has been a shift where more people are working from home. But I know people who are forced to work from home and they have to do school from home and they're not used to homeschooling. And the way that their work has evolved is that their higher ups, their managers, their bosses have them in meetings every hour of every day, 40 hours a week. That's not even an exaggeration talking about the work that they're going to be doing. But the expectations for the work that they used to be able to do when they went into the office have not changed. So in addition to the 40 hours in meetings talking about the work that's going to be done and all the family stuff, they're now expected to do their actual work on top of that. And it's just completely impossible. So in that situation, of course, you're going to view every additional request as like a life-threatening attack on your existence. And then it happens all day, every day. Yeah. And so you can you can very easily find yourself in that place. We got to we got to break out of that though. So that's that's not tenable and and I'm I'm hoping that most people I, I think are realizing that systems have to change. Uh have those difficult conversations because at the very least, you know, you can assume that my boss doesn't understand. Maybe that's true, maybe it's not, you know, and the positive if you have the conversation I can't do any of this work because I'm in meetings all, all day every day, you know, I track my time, here it is, you know, what, what where do you want me to actually do the work? You know, then they, a lot of times they'll say, well, I didn't realize and let's figure out a way for you to break free from meetings. Maybe you don't need to be at these, you know, these meetings and you can have that time to do the work or at least if they say, well, I still want you to do all this stuff anyways, you know what you're dealing with. Yeah. <laughs> you can make your own decisions at that point right. about whether you want to want to stay here or not. Right. And the more we just go down this path, we are fear learning and conditioning ourselves to keep doing this. And the heart of today's message is for us to take a hard look at ourselves and to recognize what areas of my life am I responding in fear and letting fear take control. Because there are probably areas we all have that we don't even see because we're so our brain is so conditioned to operate in a certain way that we don't even think to try something different or new. Yep, yep. And so this is just like a cry for help. Mm -hmm. just a plea for all of us to really consider where fear might be operating in our lives because it it will only limit us and it will only bring harm to us and we'll reproduce that a couple great books for people who want to jump into this stuff a little bit deeper that i'm thinking of Uh, one of them is thinking fast and slow by daniel kahneman which is kind of the book on like irrationality but another one which I really liked is The Art of Thinking Clearly by Rolf DeBelli. And it talks about all these biases that we have. And the one I want to touch on real quickly is this confirmation bias, which basically, if you couple this with fear in the strong emotional response, and you get even just a little bit of distance from that thing, and your brain says, there, that worked. You don't consider any of the alternatives, but you file it into the pile of evidence for next time this thing happens, react this way. And you do that enough and it just becomes automatic. And so what you need is to get a little bit different perspective so you can see it more clearly. You talked Mm -hmm. about work the system, Sam Carpenter, right? Get get above and outside your your perspective, Mm -hmm. you know, so your situation so you can see it for what it really is. That's what we want to do with fear. We want to recognize why we have the feeling of fear so that we can respond to the thing of fear in the right way. Yeah. 
an, an, a very good, sorry, a very good analogy that I came across when I was doing a little bit of research on this is the idea of fear as a double-edged sword. There's two sides of fear, and it's completely natural that fear exists and that we feel fear or we fear things. On one side, like we have said, it keeps us safe. It's the body's natural response to danger, keeping us from dying. <laughs> yep. Uh, natural fear means be cautious, but not freeze and be paralyzed by it. It means run away from the danger and get yourself in a safe spot. Mm-hmm. But the other side of this double-edged sort of fear is that it is crippling. It's paralyzing. It's completely out of order. And this quote I really like, the goal isn't to be fearless or to never feel fear. The goal is to experience the fear, yet not let it stop you from taking action. And that really encapsulates what we're talking about here is that we don't want to be fearless in the sense that we throw caution to the wind and put ourselves in danger or to never feel fear. We do we will feel fear. That's the bottom line. But our goal is really to not let it stop us from taking action. The goal is to okay, we recognize it's there. We recognize that there's fear here and that I experience fear in this certain situation, but I see it and now I'm going to logically respond appropriately and yeah. not let my brain take over with this uh, old memory system, all these are old neural nets, all this old information, I'm going to see it and I'm going to punch it in the face like we talked about. Head on. <laughs> I'm not going to waver. I'm just going to face it and deal with it. I'm going to overcome it. Yes. Yeah. That punching it in the face that paints this picture for me of like the old gladiator duels. And I want to read real quickly this thing from Theodore Roosevelt in the arena. Uh, he's had this speech and this is just a small snippet of it, but I love this. It says, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. He's punched fear in the face to your point. Whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. You will experience fear. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? who confronts his fear, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That is what fear the noun is going to try to get you to do. It's going to try to get you from even setting foot in the arena, Mm -hmm. so you'll never even know if you could have beat that thing or not. And if you need another picture for it if you do imagine yourself in a ring and the opponent fear is facing you and it's just staring you down and it's just intimidating you to fall back on what you've always done in this situation Mm -hmm. i've always been fearful of this thing This fear thing always just controls my whole body, emotions, actions in this one area. So if you picture yourself, make your fist, (laughs) take your stance as my boys are learning in martial arts, bring your (laughs) arm back and then punch that thing right in the face and do it with all your gusto. If you need a picture, picture yourself punching that thing and not letting it intimidate you, not running out of the ring not cowering in fear, not being paralyzed, just staring at it going, oh no, 
It's this feeling again, because trust me, I know. I experienced paralyzing fear from the age six to 23. I had this recurring nightmare. I can still remember it. I will never speak it out. I never have spoken out what that nightmare was. But I would wake up paralyzed in fear, not able to move. And I know what that feels like. And it is not a fun place to be. Mm -mm. And when I turned 23, that year I had read this book called Piercing the Darkness. And just by reading that book, I had a different understanding of things. And I never had that nightmare again. I was never paralyzed by fear in that way ever, ever again. Mm -hmm. And it was just that revelation, that understanding that I didn't have to suffer in that way. I didn't have to subject myself to that fear. Yep. And I could take control of my mind in such a way that even my subconscious, when I slept, could be sleeping peacefully. Yeah. You know, when we talk about punching fear in the face, I think a lot of people maybe have a wrong picture. Like you have to work up all of this strength and strategy in order to just beat this thing into the ground. But that's not really what it's like at no. all. All you have to do is show some resistance. Yes. <laughs> Push no. back a little bit. It's just that consciousness even. Yeah. Like for me, it wasn't me saying, I'm never going to have a nightmare like this again. It wasn't that at all. It was simply by me reading a book and having a greater understanding that I didn't have to live this way. And that was so powerful. And I remember from the time I was really little, even like I said, it started when I was about six. And I, for me, I would, sometimes I couldn't even speak. It was, that's how frozen I was. I would think the name of Jesus and I would fall back asleep <laughs> and be totally peaceful instantly. And, uh, oh man, I'm so glad I'm free of that though. Yeah. I don't want anyone to ever have to experience that. I know people do though. Yeah. And if you haven't, it doesn't mean you never will. We're all going to face fear at some point in our lives. Some at people, different levels, yeah. Yeah. Some people might be completely gripped by it. Uh, I was gripped by fear in my own way. I guess I was a, a people pleaser and I was afraid of confrontation for mm. a very long time. And I would be wronged and I would just sit there and stew about it too shy to say anything. Mm. And I've had to overcome that. Our pastor tells this story of, uh, he mentions like, I've had guys in my office who couldn't even talk when they went in and then I, I made them yell, you know, and then something changed in them. Made them shout. Yeah. And I, I told our oldest son the last time he told that story, I'm like, hey, that was me. And he's like, what? I can't even believe that. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know? he can't see me that way because I've had to over overcome that. But uh, and that one doesn't seem particularly life-threatening unless you're in that situation where someone's kind of pushing you around. It and is in a sense way. of it stunts you, though. Yeah, exactly. That's That was uh, what I was going to say is that it's kind of insidious because yeah. you don't really see the damage that it's mm -hmm. doing. It's almost better if it is like completely in your face because <laughs> yes. at least you know what you're dealing with right. then instead of just letting it hang right. around for mm -hmm. a long time and sowing those seeds into your kids. Yeah, and that's why as we're talking, I believe that we're each going to have something that is highlighted in our life that maybe is subtle that we didn't see before. But we have a few really powerful examples we want to share, actually three different children of ours and some specific <laughs> fear things that we've had to deal with. So our son, Jonathan, he's our third son. I don't think I've really, we've really told the story on here yet. When I was at the 20-week ultrasound with him, 
they saw things that they were concerned about. They saw some different measurements and they want, they suggested a bunch of testing because they saw very strong evidence for chromosomal disorders. And I told them from the get-go that I don't want the testing or anything because it's not going to change the course of the pregnancy for us mm-hmm. because uh, abortion, abortion is not is an not option. An option. Yeah. So with that being said, I sat in my van after hearing all this and I had a few things <laughs> going through my head. I could call my sister-in-law, who's an incredible nurse. I could call my sister. I could call my pastor's wife. I could call my mom. I could call my mother-in-law. And they stopped. And I called God instead. <laughs> I prayed and I gave it to him instantly. And he spoke to me right in that moment. And I still I feel like it happened seconds ago. He said, I am that I am. And that voice was so, so strong that instantly any fear was gone. And that whole rest of the pregnancy, I never worried about it. I didn't even, and I did tell Mike about it because I was at the ultrasound by myself. And Not right away, but well, <laughs> eventually. I did, about two weeks later, I told him about this. And I wasn't worried about it. Like it had settled in my heart. And so I waited for the right time just to talk to him about it so I could give it its full, full audience, give the full platform for it. Not that I was worried about him and his response, but it was so settled in my heart that, again, I didn't even have to run to my husband and go, oh my gosh, guess what the doctor said. Yeah. So that was really, really powerful. Later on at a 32-week follow-up ultrasound, all those issues were settled. Mm-hmm. All the measurements were perfect. The kidneys were perfect. Everything was perfect. And then it came time for him to be born. We went in for the regular checkup because I was full term, 40 weeks at that point. He w- did. I did end up going into labor naturally that, that afternoon after I had taken a nap. Mm-hmm. And when he was born they found that he had two spots in his heart that didn't close. There's two spots that normally close in an infant at birth so that their blood circulates to reflect them actually breathing on their own versus getting all their stuff from the umbilical cord. Mm -hmm. And we had to deal with that fear again. And that was a little different than the first time. But long story short... All those two spots ended up closing on their own by the nine week and then the second one by the 18 month checkup. And it was about two years ago that our son, Jonathan, who was seven at the time, all of a sudden started getting these like sharp heart pains once in a while. And he knew his story. We had told him his story. He had been born that way and, you know, they closed up and they all healed up and everything. And so I had to work with him to put his faith into practice. And together, we worked with him on facing that fear and not being gripped by that fear when he felt that pain. Mm-hmm. And we dealt with it right away. And he doesn't he hasn't had a pain in his heart since then. It was only a few times, about two years ago. And that was an example of reproducing faith in our son, Jonathan, not reproducing fear. Yep. And his response is the thing that allowed him to overcome it. Yeah. You know, it's not just like pretending that something isn't there. Right. It was an opportunity for him to say, well, they said this, I'll let my world be framed in such a way that I can't do X, Y, and Z. 
but I mean, we've had the tests. He's clear. Yep. Right. So we knew that this was a fear feeling thing and we, he needed to respond appropriately so that he had the confidence that he could do this on his own. And that's the whole point is you train your kids while they are at home with you, right? You're preparing them right. for the moment that you're not going to be there so that they have what they need in that moment. And this was a great opportunity for him to get the confidence to see that like, ah, I know what to do now. Right. And there's never been any negligence on our part not going to the heart doctor for him. <laughs> All right. Let's tell one more story here and then wrap up. Okay. Well, we'll tell Adelaide in the train story. So last summer, our daughter, Adelaide, she was two at the time, we were outside and we have a train track that's pretty close to our house. You can't even see it from our house, but when you're outside, you know, you can definitely hear it. Well, all of a sudden she freaked out and she's like, oh, the train, no, the train. And I'm looking at her going, you've never cared about trains before ever. <laughs> and so what we did was I, you know, calmed her to help her calm down. And then the next 48 hours kept talking about trains are good we love trains train rides are so fun and we watched and some she train has, shows she has rode on trains before and she has liked it yes. so this was a kind of out of the blue yes. sort of a thing yeah out of left field yep and we yeah like watched some thomas train shows we played with trains at home and the next time we heard the train i could i watched her she started to kind of and then she stopped yeah. And it was dealt with like that. If I had let her be afraid and not face it with her, I don't would she still be afraid of trains to this day? Well, there would I still be a there still be a, a root there. Right. You know, but you you plucked the weed when you saw it. So yeah. <laughs> that's good. And it's like even with our children, we want to reproduce we don't want to reproduce fear. Mm-hmm. So they'll face fear at times. And the train was kind of like, why are you afraid of a train? It doesn't make sense. Our own fears don't, what we entertain as fear doesn't make sense. Yeah. The more you entertain it, the more real it becomes. Yeah. So this isn't to say, oh, it's not real and you'll get over it. Right. The fact that it's there in your mind, you know, you have a chance to sign for that package or to return it to the sender return it to the sender <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know the, and there's lots of other stories uh we won't tell them all but malachi was another really recent oh, this one just, we're just yeah at the he, tail end of this one he uh got stuck in an elevator at classical conversations for like 13 minutes or something not, not even, a huge deal it wasn't even that long yeah it was a few minutes but it planted a seed and it manifested months later where he was just terrified when we were going to be leaving for a, a date night. And we've had to walk him through that and help him get some victories. Yeah. And, you know, it has it's only been a couple of weeks since we recognized it, but already he's come a, a long way. And there yeah. was one point in particular where you were back at Classical Conversations and you asked him if you wanted to go into the elevator. And at first he said... No. Not just no. He would. He was digging his feet in the ground, not wanting to go. Yeah. And you knew that we this needed to get him thing. back in the elevator so he could overcome this thing and you could show him what to do if it ever happened again. So there's a little bit of a wisdom and training aspect to this too. But you didn't push him. And you got in the car and you're, okay, well, we'll, we'll 
go home. We'll try it another time, whatever. And then he's he came to the realization, like, I should I have done that. Yeah. So you went back in. Yep, instantly went and back did it. in. I'm like, well, we're still here. Let's go try again. And after he conquered the elevator and he tried out all the buttons to make sure he knew what would happen, and he conquered it. And you could see the countenance on his face completely change instantly He's when we rode the, the elevator. Back to the goofy, joyful Malachi yes. we know and love. Yes. <laughs> and the it was really, really hard at times to see him like that because he was suffering. He really mm-hmm. was suffering because that fear was gripping him so strongly. Yep. But we had to keep going. We had to keep giving him opportunities. We'd have different people over and we would leave the house and just give him a lot of chances to mm-hmm. retrain yep. his response. That's exactly it. You know, if we're going to encapsulate this whole episode, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying retrain, to retrain yes. our brains. Yeah, retrain our brains. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Because I'm constantly trying to figure out any any dark spots in my own life, any places of fear or ways of, that I can personally grow because I don't want to ever be stopped or stunted. Exactly. So maybe you're dealing with some fear in your own life. Maybe this highlighted some areas in your your children. And I implore you to face it, to deal with it. Don't it settle. In the face. Yes. Don't settle for <laughs> a life frozen in fear. Choose faith. Choose life. Choose love. Punch that thing in the face. That's right. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Intentional Family Podcast. We can be found at intentionalfamily.fm. Until next time, join us in living life intentionally.